had an amusing moment recently. I was checking into a telehealth visit with my doctor and the nurse was asking preliminary questions. Nowadays, there's the COVID-19 questions. Have you been to XYZ location? Have you experienced ABC symptom and so on and so forth? They asked my weight, which is great because I didn't have to suffer them adding five pounds because of my clothing. I hope I'm not the only one with some resentment of the doctor's office scale. And then came another set of questions. The nurse described them as depression screening. He asked, have you felt hopeless or despairing more than usual? Have you lost interest in normal daily activities? I just started laughing. I was laughing so hard on the phone, not because depression is a joke, but because of when and how the questions were asked. The nurse got the joke and started laughing too. I followed up with, well, other than the life-threatening pandemic raging across the world, except New Zealand, I'm doing okay, I think. It's hard not to feel like the whole world is on fire. It, it kind of is. And now with paramilitary forces on the ground in Portland and even threatening my hometown of Chicago and other cities such as Albuquerque, not to mention the threats to democracy worldwide, how on earth was I supposed to answer those questions the nurse had asked me? In times like these, people often turn to their communities of faith. We did so during all of the radical shifts in our world and society in the past. 9-11, the Civil Rights Movement, World War II, the 1918 influenza pandemic, and so on and so forth. We often look to our trusted leaders, and in the case of a community like ours, the clergy, for answers, guidance, comfort. I guess that means I need to have a comforting word, right? Well, here's the truth. I'm feeling a lot like Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons. Here's what I mean. We're doomed! It's times like this I wish I were a religious man. It's all over, people! We don't have a prayer! Ah! Yeah, it's exactly like that. And maybe that's okay. Maybe what we need is to name it all and stop trying to fix how we're feeling. Isn't your despair, fear, and worry valid? Is it mine? It doesn't feel great, but is that so terrible a thing? What if we look to those emotions as great teachers in this time? What lessons do they have to teach us? I wonder. Last week, my husband, dog, and I went hunting. For a comet, that is. We trekked up a nearby hill leading to a church on our street and tried to catch a glimpse of the comet Neowise hanging just below the constellation Ursa Major. We wanted to be sure we saw it, even if just for a moment, because this comet was special. It was both visible with the naked eye and it wouldn't return for another 6,800 years. Yeah, nearly 7,000 years until the comet returns. If you remember the 1990s and the comet Hale-Bopp, it was an event like this. Hale-Bopp, for those interested, won't return to our solar system until the year 4385. I remember looking at it often with my mother as a child. The good thing about Neowise is that there's been no doomsday cults surrounding it. I think the year 2020 is enough of an end-of-the-world scenario so far that we don't need to complicate matters with a comet. And so we hiked up that hill. I thought I could see something blurry just below the Alula stars, but it was far too bright. The church parking lot was lit up like a football stadium. So we headed to another church, one with a darker parking lot. There, the haze was a little more noticeable, but not enough. 
and so we went down Harrodsburg Road until there were few lights to be seen. Parking in front of a closed greenhouse off of a side road, a large empty field nearby, and there it was. You see, there's a trick sometimes in stargazing. If it's something not readily noticeable, you don't look at it dead on. You look just off to the side of where it should be, and it appears in the corner of your eye. There was the smudge of the comet tail. I pulled out a small telescope and started hunting for it. And then I found it. This irregular shaped rock with its ice melting off of its surface because of the heat of our sun. To me, it was a rock with angel wings, fuzzy, ephemeral, pointing downward. Nearly 7,000 years ago, this rock visited our ancestors. What did they think upon seeing it? Did they think it was a sign from the gods? A bringer of hope or doom? Some other type of message? Did they even behold the grandiose event before them? I doubt they knew it was a once in 7,000 years event, but I'm sure they looked upward and marveled in their own way. Here we were, human beings and a Rottweiler, on a tiny planet in a run-of-the-mill solar system in an average galaxy, taking another look. And when it returns one day, what will the world look like, I wondered. And there it hit me. When the comet Neowise returns, there will be no more COVID-19. If there are humans at all on this planet, the worries of today will be long gone. There'll be new worries, new plagues. Maybe there'll be new life or no life at all. Will our species have conquered our pettiness and anger? Will we have ventured out into the stars beyond? The questions all sound like the premise for an average science fiction novel in a bargain bin. But there it was, my immediate thoughts. All human strife and disease, worry and pain, all of that evaporated in the tale of the comet. 7,000 years between me and my new friend, Neowise. Did you see the comet? If you haven't, you might have a day or two left. If not, I'm afraid you get to wait. The comet isn't in any rush to return. This was an awe-inspiring moment. Or rather, it was an awful moment. I'm not sure when that word came to mean only terrible, horrible things, but break it down and there it is, full of awe, awful, full of dread too, full of fear, full of worry. Aren't those side effects of awe? The emotions closely tied to existential questions and moments. And so yes, Neowise was awful in the best way and the ways that put me right in my place as a temporary being on a temporary world in a temporary solar system and galaxy, and yes, a temporary universe. For me, for moments like those, there's a renewed sense of place. Here I am with my husband and dog in that moment observing an object that reminds me of my mortality, but also an object that pays no mind to my mortality. The comet Neowise has nothing to say about COVID-19. And if we're being honest, COVID-19 has nothing to say about itself either. Nature, the universe, continues on without much commentary. It's one of those things that distinguishes us human beings. We like to comment on a great deal of things. Now, at this point, I could just leave this here and call this a day. A good existential sermon bordering on absurdism or nihilism is called for every now and then, but not right now. I think it's important we remind ourselves of 
just how wondrous and terrifying the universe is, to take it all in, to let ourselves feel whatever it is we need to feel, to ask questions with absolutely no answers, though human beings keep trying. What does it all mean? It's all good and fun, and they're classic questions for religious communities such as ours. But to leave it right there, to leave it at ponderance and existential fear or delight is not enough. When we are struck with awe, be it awful or awe-inspiring, what is our responsibility? What comes next? Do we have a responsibility to awe? I ask these questions at a time of pandemic and cultural revolution. It might be hard to find awe in this moment for many of us. I would contend that it is still available to us. It's available to us just not just on the grand cosmic scale. Farewell, cognate neo-wise, but more wonders await. Wonders close to home, close to one's heart, right now. It's the wonder on seeing people still doing their part in all of this, showing compassion, staying safe. It's the wonder of people and their stubbornness. There is awe to be found in just how bizarre human beings can be, just how cruel and careless you'd think we would all know better. The awe of being asked the wrong question at the right time, a nurse asking if you felt hopeless during a pandemic, and the existential laugh that accompanies it. The wonder and awe of flowers blooming, rain falling, the natural world in its glory and terror. The wonder and awe of coming together in this community still. If it's one thing our shared Unitarian Universalist history teaches us, it is that Unitarian Universalists never give up. They always find a way. And that is something to marvel at and something to find comfort in. Rebecca Elson, the poet we heard from earlier, was an astronomer from Canada and based in England. In her only volume of poetry called A Responsibility to Awe, she offers up, by way of poetry, the freedom and the fear of being a temporary human being in the face of the universe, the face of everything. Some people like to tell stories of gods and angels, the mystical and supernatural, and that's okay, please find meaning there. But for people like Rebecca Elson, all of the wonderment, awe, existential dread and fear, indelible glory, indefinable meaning, all of it was right here, right here, right here. Now her story was one of heartbreak. Having survived cancer at age 29, she went about writing and studying, looking for dark matter, studying the formation of galaxies, globular clusters, jotting down her notes. Her collection of poetry is often a work in progress, showing where she scratched out words, showing her process, showing how her mind worked. Ten years after surviving non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, it returned, and she died at the age of 39. Her final words are recorded in her journals and her final poems. Sixteen days before she died, she penned her final poem, and it reads, In the garden of greens and shade, of a May fresh from April, one foot already in June, impatient to explore each last possibility, of green from the blue lavender to the quintessential cherry, to the yellowing, drying fritillaries, whose day came back in March, impatient to say all these greens before the flowers begin to chatter come loud with color, to let themselves go lewdly and loudly into scarlets, purples, and indigos. 
amidst all of the wonderment in her poetry at this great universe before us, there it is, right there, the simple wonder of being human even amidst our mortality. Impatient to explore each last possibility, she wrote. What is our responsibility to awe and wonder, even now? I think it rests in Elson's use of the word impatient. Not the impatience our society has become dominated by. I need that new thing right now. I need this service right in this moment. Now, 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 me, me, me. Not the impatience that has crept into our communities of faith. I'll have the number three value meal with a side of gospel. Hold the bluegrass. No. The impatience too, as Thoreau put it, suck the marrow out of life. To drink deep from the well of scarlets, purples, and indigos. To cherish the fragility of life itself, to show love often, to cry and laugh and celebrate even amidst our mourning, to notice the wildflowers, to say farewell to a loved one, to welcome in new possibilities, and to rapturously bound along, discovering, discovering, and discovering. Rebecca Elson saw that as her responsibility. Her life in poetry tells us she lived that ethic of impatient discovery and wonder. Have you? Have you noticed awe and wonder right now? It need not all be joyful. It can be sorrowful, somber, bittersweet. But it's the noticing that matters. It's the impatience to keep noticing. Good impatience. A feeling that we will claim the gift of life in each moment. I offer these words to you with an acknowledgement that this is all a work in progress for each and every one of us. It is hard to claim awe and wonder these days, and yet spiritual scarcity was a problem before this time. Many of us, myself included, struggled before the times of pandemic and revolution, and let's be honest about that. And we're not just talking about dark nights of the soul. We're talking about the rush and bustle, the distraction and impatience demanded by a culture focused on results and productivity. It is time to reclaim that impatience and turn it toward possibility, to awe, to wonder, to savoring life, to dwelling in compassion and bringing it all, awe, wonder, compassion, to the calls for justice, the calls for mourning, the calls for upheaval and radical change. That is the foundry burning at the center of my heart, the foundry that burns through the night, through the cold, through the despair and hopelessness, that burning heart of awe and wonder is right there, right there, right now. How will you be responsible to awe, to this beautiful now? Blessed be. Amen.